This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. Hi, Chad. How are you? I'm doing okay, Katie. Are you feeling any better? I am speaking again, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> that is a plus. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for your patience. Yeah, just, a, you know, cold flu from hell, so it was... Uh, Nice to have a couple of days off to rest and very, very needed. So thanks for your patience. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was camping all of the Thanksgiving week and into the Sunday after. And then I came back from work. And so we had delayed our recording until Wednesday night. And then it was just you were dying in the middle of the week. So (laughs) uh, we had to delay just to, to preserve you and to preserve the quality of the episode a little bit, too. But I think it was definitely uh, worth you getting a couple extra days rest. One more piece of housekeeping. Um, At the end of episode 19, we mistakenly said that we would be covering both The Convict and A Benihana Christmas in this episode. But A Benihana Christmas is actually a double episode. It is episodes 310 and 311 of The Office. So we're actually covering that in a separate episode in episode 21. So today will just be The Convict. Today, also, I we were going to record a couple hours ago, but I had skipped over the convict in my watching because I wasn't paying attention and uh, just prepared for the wrong episode. So uh, we we've had a series of mishaps going into this one, but it should still be fun. And I suppose uh, that's all of our housekeeping stuff. Although I do want to mention, looking at our stats for the podcast today, we are ten away from ten thousand downloads total, which is insane this is the show is uh getting the download numbers a lot faster than cinescope did because i guess it's a little bit more of a specific niche kind of thing and uh i'm glad to see it going so well it's definitely been a worthwhile effort on our part Ten thousand. that's crazy at at 20 episodes today so yeah thank you all very very much for your listens and your downloads and emails and everything we really do appreciate it yes well let's go ahead and get started we are talking about the Convict, which is episode 309 of The Office. It aired on November 30th of 2006, uh, just a few days ago. It was the 11th anniversary. It was directed by Jeffrey Blitz and written, very special, by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, who were the showrunners and writers for the UK version of The Office that this one is based on. And this is the only episode of the US series run that was written by them. So very special episode here. And uh, how about you talk about what happens in this one, Katie? So in The Convict, Michael learns that a Stamford transfer, Martin Nash, is an ex-convict. Now, Martin is black, so Michael tries to avoid any racist stereotypes and discourages people from suspecting Martin of anything. Meanwhile, Andy asks Jim to help him set him up with a woman in the office, and they decide on Pam. Jim, of course, takes this as an opportunity to prank Pam by misinforming Andy about the things that Pam likes, so they have some fun there. Martin tells the office that he was incarcerated for insider trading, and that prison wasn't like it's made out to be on TV. In fact, there are even some perks in prison. Pam jokes that prison sounds way better than the office, and Michael, of course, finds this horrifying and retaliates by proving that prison is bad, which, of course it is. (laughs) He proves this by sending them to mandatory outdoors time in the freezing cold, He introduces them to Prison Mike, a character that he creates, a very hardened criminal character. (laughs) And by the end of the day, uh, Martin chooses to quit Dunder Mifflin Scranton, so we lose one more Stamford employee. 
Yeah, they're dropping like flies now. By the end of the episode, we've only got Hannah and Karen left. And Andy. Oh, and Andy. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we have three. Right. And then with Michael at the start of the episode, just speaking of Hannah, we've got the cold open, which doesn't have a whole lot to do or anything to do with the rest. But Hannah has brought in her baby to work today, who we've talked about her her motherhood in past episodes. Um, Michael says, may I? And she thinks, oh, uh, yes, you can hold my baby. But Michael instead crawls under Hannah's desk and gives a voice to the baby. And that's already weird. And then he takes it too far by saying he wants some milk, which is even creepier because it means that he's talking about Hannah's breast. And he knows that. And everybody knows that. It's just... Why Why do you even have to go there, Michael? So even before we get into the whole Martin issue, Michael is expressing, I don't know if insensitivity is the right word, but a lack of discretion probably is a little bit more accurate. Which is, I think, the second time, at least at Scranton, that we have had any sort of topic about Hannah's breasts, <laughs> because, of course, Creed has taken a photo and um, at, at this point already. So, yeah, I mean... You're you're gonna be, you know, she's breastfeeding in the office, she has a kid, like, okay. But there's an awful lot of conversation going on around Hannah and her motherhood at this point. And then once we get into the actual episode, uh, Jan is on the phone because uh, they have discovered that they got this check that is some sort of like reimbursement check or something that they, they don't know where it came from or why they got it. So they've called up Jan. It's... Uh, Kevin and Angela and Pam and Michael on conference with her. And Jan says, oh, that just means that Josh was taking advantage of this program where if you hire an ex-convict, you get money back in return. It's just the way things go. And they get concerned, specifically Angela gets concerned that they have a convict in the office and they start suggesting who might it be. Well, Michael says, uh, there are no ex-cons here. Unless they mean Toby, convicted rapist, and nobody thinks that's funny. Um, especially because there's nothing in Toby's to- personality that would indicate that kind of behavior. It's just because Michael doesn't like him. Right. And then they start naming off the new Stanford people. And so they mention, uh, they mention Hannah, and then they mention Andy, and then they could have mentioned Car- uh, Karen, but then Kevin mentions maybe it's Martin. So there were only two people he could have named at this point, and he mentions Martin. And Michael just goes off on him, says, you are a racist and you need to stop it right now. But there were only two other people. They were, they were naming all the new people, the only people it could have been. And it wasn't unreasonable for Kevin to just name one of the other two people that were left. Like it, it was such a non-big deal that Michael turned into a big deal, which I mean, story of his life, but still. Right. And we've seen so much of Michael. Um be so insensitive as, as far as, I mean, racial insensitivity and, and insensitivity to women and everything. So it's, I, I get and I appreciate that he is trying to, I don't know how to phrase this, um, discourage the idea that all convicts are black or that he's trying to minimize racial stereotypes, but he's taking it so far to, you know, how could you possibly believe it would be Martin? Well, because he's one of the, you know, three or four people that it could be. He's, he's, I think, trying to do a good thing, but it's not working. 
I'm not sure how to how to put that, but no, I know exactly what you mean. And it's it's just Michael trying to be sensitive, but in doing that, he takes it too far in the other direction. Um, right. He, and when they do find out that it was Martin for sure from Jan, he has this talking head where he says, "I hate that it's Martin because it's such a stereotype, and I wish that Josh had made a more progressive choice, like a white guy who had polluted a black guy's lake." Which, in a way, is also being racist because it's like that's the worst thing he could think of a white person doing, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. It, so he tells the others to just forget about it, move on. I trust Martin implicitly. But then he goes off and he tells Dwight, and Dwight has a minor freakout moment. Not so minor <laughs> freakout moment. And then he goes and he makes this totally unnecessary comment announcement to the whole office. And it, it, it's just, he outs Martin. He outs Martin as an ex-convict, and that's really not anything that needs to be public information. Right, because now it's going to make everyone uncomfortable. Um, Martin didn't go to prison for a violent crime. It, it wasn't as if he's a danger to those around him. You know, he it was something to do with business, and that's, you know, it's still a crime, but he, he's not a... I don't know that I would put that as, you know, he's not a murderer, he's not a rapist. He did insider trading. okay. You know, that's that's I, I'm way less afraid of someone who took part in insider trading than I am, say, a murderer. So Angela right. and all of her fear of I'm in a dark, you know, dimly lit, far away corner of the office. Like I weigh 90 pounds. Like, OK, yeah, but he's not a murderer. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not somebody you should be afraid of. And they've been around him for a week at this point, And there's nothing about him to make you uncomfortable just in general. Like if they, they had gone their whole lives without knowing this specific information, they never would have guessed it. Um, right. Exactly. Because they've been working with Stanley this whole time too. And Stanley's black. And I mean, it's, it's just another person in the office. It's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal. And then the word does get out or Michael, like I said, announces it to the office and Martin's decides to sort of ease the tension by saying, well, do you want to know what it was like? So he starts telling everybody and it, the parts that he shares are actually pretty nice. I mean, you forget about the lack of a social life and the lack of the freedom to come and go as you please. It does sound kind of nice, but he's sharing the nice parts. <laughs> it's still prison. And Pam does make the joke, oh, well, it's, it does sound better than here. It sounds better than Dunder Mifflin. And Michael starts getting very uncomfortable. Well, that's not true. He decides to implement changes to make it more like prison. So they go outdoors in the freezing cold, and then he puts a TV in the break room. And Martin's there when he does that, and he says, well, the TV in our rec room in prison was bigger and honestly probably better quality because the, the picture on the TV that Michael has set up is grainy and fuzzy and uh, not really suitable for watching anything on. Right, and Michael is horribly offended that anything could be better than Dunder Mifflin Scranton. I mean, this is his home. This is his paradise, it seems. It's it's baffling to him that anything could be better than this. And um, of course, yeah, I mean, there there has to be some perk in prison, unless you're in solitary confinement. Like, yeah, you're going to have occasional TV time. You're going to have outdoors time. Um, but w what Michael is forgetting is that when they are done with their job at five o'clock, they get to go home and go home to their families and go out to eat and do all the things that free people get to do. And you don't have to work this job. This is something that you chose to do. You could 
if you hate this job, you can go get another job. And prison is not like that. So he's just kind of forgetting that Martin is kind of sugarcoating his time in prison, probably to to lessen the impact on his coworkers. Like, hey, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. I'm not a bad guy. Mm -hmm. And we also have to remember that a large bulk of people in prison are in there for nonviolent crimes. And really the goal of prison is to reform them and put them back in society, you know? So those nicer aspects where they are able to take classes or able to be productive in some way in prison without it being overly punishing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a punishment, but it's also meant to make you a better person when you come out. Because most people do or should come out after X amount of time. After they've done their time, then you, right. you're out. So those are part of the nicer parts as well. It's, it's not meant to be sensory deprivation or anything like that. Well, all this starts going on. Michael gathers everybody in the conference room and introduces them to a classic character of the office, Prison Mike, <laughs> who brings out all of the prison stereotypes he knows. Cursing violence, rape, bad food, and dementors? <laughs> I don't remember dementors <laughs> being a part of prison or real life, for that matter. <laughs> well, you've never been to prison, Chad. Apparently so not. How could you know? <laughs> yeah, Prison Mike is one of my favorite Michael characters. He wears this purple bandana, which is the only thing that differentiates him, I think, from regular Michael, as far as costuming goes. Um, he's this overly tough, rude guy. He screams at Phyllis. He calls Angela names. I think my favorite thing, though, is that he calls Ryan the Belle of the Ball. <laughs> um, <laughs> because Michael just can't not have a little crush on Ryan. Even Prison Mike has a little crush on Ryan. So, Yeah, it, it, that's when he's talking about like the, the possibility of gay rape. That is such a stereotype of prison, male prisons at least. And uh, yeah, just... Too far. Ryan gets very uncomfortable with that, naturally, more uncomfortable than normal because Michael is talking about rape and he says, Don't drop the soap. Well, we won't get into that, but Michael, just too much, too much, Michael. Um, but then after he's gone through his whole prison Michael, prison Mike shtick, Martin says, Well, you know, that didn't remind me of my experience at all. So Michael locks them in the conference room and calls them babies, to which my thought was, Who's being the baby here? Who's throwing the tantrum here, Michael? You are. That's exactly, that was my thought too, because when he locks them in and he stands away, it's, it really is a temper tantrum. He's just, mm -hmm. um, he's not getting what he wants. He's not conveying his point the way he wants to. So he's just getting mad and punishing them for something that, I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. It's just, it's toddler behavior. And Toby, of all people, has to come over and convince him that obviously the office is better than prison. And they're just teasing him to be funny. And then when Michael considers it in that light, he actually does sort of crack a smile and laugh like, oh, man, they got me. <laughs> and he lets them out and tries to joke with them and says, wow, this, is, this has been a long day. Uh, how about you all leave early for good behavior? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's too much. Um, and... Martin quits because of everything that happens this day. And Michael then has this talking head saying, you know, Martin went from being a convict to my friend and then back to a convict, then to a nuisance, to be honest, and then a quitter. And I won't miss him. And it's not because he's black. 
to which, again, my response is this whole day was because Martin was black. You trying to avoid racism caused racism. Right. There, there has to be some sort of middle ground, and Michael has not found it yet. That's a good point, and I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but all of this tension and, and, and discomfort was caused by Michael um, first trying to minimize Martin's time in prison. Like, yeah, he is a convict. It had nothing to do with the fact he was black. It, not at all. Um, and then his overcompensation is what started this whole snowball. So absolutely, yeah. Another side story here is with Jim and Jim messing around with Andy and with Pam. Um, but first off, they they make acknowledgement of the fact that him and Karen have officially started dating at this point. And after they sort of hinted towards it in the merger, they went out for drinks at the end of that episode. But he says he's not ready to talk about it openly yet. And I would assume that's because really the wounds between him and Pam, though it's been several months at this point, they're still pretty fresh. Um, and during that talking head where he's talking about how the fact that him and Karen are together, uh, it's juxtaposed with Pam sort of glancing forlornly over at Karen and Jim hanging out together at the copy machine. Um, so that that's happening. He, he's trying to save Pam's feelings a little bit, I think, even though it's still pretty obvious that him and Karen are spending time together. I do like that Jim is finally able to joke around with Pam again. I don't think since Jim has come back, they've really had a chance to joke around. Um, and so Jim's kind of handed this opportunity. Andy wants to be set up with somebody in the office and throws out a few names. And Jim says, no, no, no. And then Andy says, Pam. And Jim, of course, yes, you should ask Pam out. This is perfect. Because um, he knows <laughs> Pam really well and he knows what she does and doesn't like. And so he pranks Pam by misinforming Andy with all of these things that Pam supposedly likes. She likes really high falsetto singing and she likes pig Latin and, and um, uh, frisbee golf and all of these things that Pam is just not really into. So Andy goes over and just bombards her with all of this information he has learned about her. Um, <laughs> which, of course, I think Pam catches on to pretty, pretty quickly but enjoys watching Andy kind of make a fool of himself. Yeah, Andy approaches her and he does this whole routine. Uh, and he's thinking he's charming her, but really he's kind of repulsing her. <laughs> and she just responds, wow. <laughs> and Jim does this slow turnaround in his chair, sort of glancing away. And then he just shifts his eyes like, here I am. <laughs> what did you think of that? <laughs> and uh, then she has this brief talking head where she has this huge smile on her face. And it seems so genuine. She's just saying, wow, that was, wow. I almost think that that smile is so genuine because it's, she realizes how much Jim does know and remembers, remembers about her because it, in a way that shows that he, he does care. Um, not romantically at the moment, but he, he does care about her. And there's a moment where Karen comes up to Jim and says, hey, what are you doing? And he, he fills her in on this prank on Pam. And Karen wants in on it, and Jim's really uncomfortable. He he kind of side skirts and, and tries to kind of brush it under the rug and say, no, 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 like, you know, I, I kind of run the gauntlet with this. This is kind of over. But he seems really uncomfortable with the idea of Karen pranking Pam or hanging out with Pam or any time that they talk, he, he's kind of watching and... 
I mean, I get that that could be really awkward, um, but he seems very uncomfortable with them interacting at all. I don't think he wants the two of them together. He had feelings for Pam. He has feelings for Karen. Um, Intermixing those, especially because his break with Pam and leaving Scranton was so painful initially, now that they're back, sort of mingling the two worlds further than just being co-workers uh, seems too much to him. Now, as for other characters' goings-on in this episode, Angela, as I said, was greatly concerned at the hire of a reformed convict, as uh, Jan calls Martin, reformed convict, not criminal. Um, and Dwight has that extreme reaction as well, tells him to be cool, um, and he, he does stuff like tries to entrap Mark, Martin in a crime. He, he sticks money in his back pocket, sort of hanging loosely out, and then backs up against Martin to see if he takes it. Um, <laughs> It's, it's too much. There's a lot more with the two of them that happens in the deleted scenes that I'm sure we'll talk about. But Martin takes all of this really in stride for most of the episode. He's cool. He's collected. He's open and honest and really doesn't take offense for most of the episode to what Michael's saying. But I also think he expresses a little bit of naivete, uh, at least in regards to dealing with Michael specifically. He's only been there a week, so hasn't really figured things out. He should have just agreed with Michael that prison was horrible, that his awful prison Mike shtick was completely accurate and gone on with his day. And Michael would not have gone so far with this. Or if he hadn't talked up prison earlier, maybe we never would have even met prison Mike. So in a way, I want to say thank you, Martin, for being a little bit naive and uh, heightening the situation to the fact (laughs) that we meet prison Mike. But at the same time, he probably wouldn't have quit by the end of the episode if he hadn't talked Michael into such a fever pitch. And of course, Martin, as you said, doesn't know Michael very well. So with any normal person, with any normal boss, I feel like you probably could have been like, hey, you know, that's actually not what prison was like. And they would have either said, oh, interesting, or asked you more about it, or, you know, tried to correct their point of view. But Michael doesn't do that. So, um, of course, Martin doesn't know Michael, and Michael is spurred into this whole... uh, dramatic day of of proving that he knows what prison is like so yeah uh i guess martin now kind of understands a little bit more about michael and won't have to deal with him anymore of yeah course, but he, he looks so sad at the end of the episode when he's packed his things in his box and is walking out uh just earlier in the episode when michael first approaches him before he makes the announcement he says oh yeah things are going well just sort of settling in and by the end of the episode he settled out <laughs> unfortunately he, he does look pretty depressed um, Now, one more character that I have to mention, I don't know if you have any others to talk about, but we have Hannah, just a couple moments in this episode. There's the very beginning, that cold open I mentioned earlier, where Pam comes up and says the baby's cute and very naturally assumes that her baby is a girl because he's wearing pink. And Hannah gets offended and says, it's his favorite color. Now... I'm not one to necessarily overpromote gender stereotypes. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with a guy wearing pink. But there was nothing wrong with Pam assuming that a baby wearing pink would be a girl either. Because, yes, that is the stereotype. That's just the way it is. Um, and, and babies just, they all look the same. They do. You know? <laughs> and I don't really know any less than one-year-old who can express what a favorite color is either. So there's that as well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I mean, don't have kids, but I assume it's pretty standard practice if, you know, your kid doesn't have any hair yet or 
whatever. There's no way to tell if it's a boy or a girl. You generally dress it in colors that people associate with the gender that your kid is, you know? You dress the girls in pink or purple. Just, I I feel like that's something that people do so, so that people know if they're looking at a boy or a girl. Now, I may be generalizing here, but it wasn't crazy to assume that the kid was a girl. Um... But yeah, Hannah got super defensive. Yeah, or if you are going to dress him in non-typical, non-stereotypical colors, just don't get offended if somebody does make that mistake and just gently correct them. Oh, no, I I think he looks good in pink. So he he wears pink and that's fine. Uh, Anyways, later in the episode, after Prison Mike has locked everybody in the conference room to punish them... uh, Hannah somehow escaped that situation and was sitting in the office caring for her baby. And Kevin is knocking on the door trying to get her attention and uh, caring for the baby, trying to get him to go to sleep, I suppose. And she like shushes Kevin and gestures toward (laughs) the baby like, can't you see I'm busy with something? Obviously, this baby is way more important to her than anything else in the world. And we could have surmised that from our earlier experiences with her as well. But this episode really locked that in when her baby was actually here. We um, see a lot of negativity around Hannah. And there's something next episode as well. I, I, I know that she's just a little unpleasant all the time. And she, like to this point, we don't know a whole lot about Hannah. But we do know that she's a very concerned mother she everything that i think we've seen about her has had to do with her kid and um i don't think i've ever seen her smile so we don't know a whole lot about her but she is uh this is prime hannah right here i think right the only smiling we get from her is when the baby is being complimented (laughs) yeah exactly yeah um now moving on to funny moments um michael when he makes his announcement about how he trusts Martin implicitly. He says, name a white man you trust and I'll name a black man I trust even more. And so Pam says, my dad. Michael says, Danny Glover. Jim says, Jonas Salk, who invented the polio vaccine, I believe. Michael says, who? (laughs) And so Jim goes with a little bit more mainstream choice and says, Justin Timberlake. And Michael says, oh, that's easy. Colin Powell. Then Karen Oh, goodness. Says Jesus. Uh, yep. <laughs> Which is a whole separate. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole separate discussion. But bottom line, Jesus was not white. He and was not white. <laughs> Michael responds with Apollo Creed, who is not a real person. So there's that. He's run out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good. I, I, I love that moment, especially the whole Jesus Apollo Creed. That's my favorite one. <laughs> that's the best one. Um, I love when Creed is playing with Hannah's baby and he's dangling a chain of paper clips in front of the baby. And Karen says, you can't give paper clips to a baby. He could swallow one. And Creed, with like hearts in his eyes, he's kind of gooing over the baby and says, oh, that's okay. I've got tons of them. (laughs) (laughs) As if losing a paper clip is what Karen's worried about. (laughs) That is so good. I I love Creed. I say I know I say that every time we mention a Creed moment, but it really is true. Every single moment with Creed makes me smile a little bit. Um, I, I love the Michael talking head where he tells the camera to picture convict, and he says what he is wearing, and he says something ordinary like "Yo, that shizzle." Okay, that's not ordinary in my experience, but whatever. <laughs> and he says, "Who are you picturing? A black man? Wrong. That was a white woman. Surprised." Shame on you. 
Well, yes, I'm surprised because you were using he pronouns, Michael, when you're describing this yes. person. That's always bothered me too. Yeah. Um, I love how concerned Kevin is when he learns that Martin uh, was convicted for insider trading. Kevin has a talking head and he says, you know, that sounds an awful lot like what I do here every day. <laughs> Now I'm wondering if Kevin is taking part in insider trading or if he doesn't quite know what his job entails and he thinks he's doing insider trading. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, he's he's definitely concerned about his uh, his future. We know he's pretty good at uh, poker, so maybe he's been doing some sort of gambling with company money or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but maybe. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that goes anywhere as we proceed. Um, now, this isn't exactly a moment, but Jim has always had a very expressive face. And there are a couple of moments in this episode where it is especially wonderfully expressive. <laughs> so uh, when Michael talks about black people he trusts more than white people, unless people like Apollo Creed, Jim makes a pretty fantastic face. And then when in the conference room he's doing the prison mic thing, and mentions the Dementors in prison, Jim's face just lights up, and it's this huge <laughs> grin because he realizes that Michael thinks that Dementors are real. <laughs> and uh, I, I just love those particular moments where Jim's face is particularly uh, great and expressive. You mentioned the one I loved earlier where he's kind of slowly spinning in his chair towards Pam, and he doesn't look at her, he doesn't look at her, and then he just... Just his eyes shoot over towards her. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that uh, YouTube video, the, the dramatic groundhog or whatever, where it turns around yeah, and plays that dramatic flourish. Yeah. It's sort of it's sort like, of like squirrel that. squirrel or yeah. gerbil. I don't know. Some rodent. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The last one I have is just the zeal with which Andy pursues Pam in that one scene. And he like checks off all the boxes that uh, <laughs> that was on the list that Jim gave him. So I have to applaud Andy for his zeal, but Pam's reaction to that is also just too good, where uh, I, I, laugh, I laugh so much every time. My favorite moment of that whole um, courtship, if you will, is when, I think it's the last scene of the episode, um, Pam is sitting there listening to Andy play banjo and singing in a really high falsetto, and she's just smiling because she knows at this point <laughs> that she's just being messed with but Andy doesn't know and I think she catches eyes with Jim and just thank you for this lovely prank I've really enjoyed it you know <laughs> yeah we get this great camera zoom where it's zoomed in on Pam's face first and she's smiling over towards Jim and then we pan out and Jim is looking at his computer and he's just smiling too and we can still see Pam sort of in the background looking over at him uh it's a telling moment and really nice camera work so onto some deleted scenes, um, quite a few for this episode. One of my favorites is, is with Dwight. He hears that there is a, quote, human baby in the office, which didn't probably need to specify human, but that's fine. <laughs> he, um, he smiles a really creepy smile. He's very excited that there's a human baby. And then in a Talking Head interview, he lists the many skills of a mother. He said he really values mothers, um, including they, they have to be able to make a stew that feeds 12 and it's it's essential that they are able to run a small schoolhouse. So um, I don't know if we know a ton about Dwight's family at this point, but it sounds like he 
was raised with many other children um, because his mother probably had to make a stew that feeds 12 and was probably homeschooled in a schoolhouse. So more, more insight into Dwight's history. And shortly after that, there's a deleted scene where Andy and Dwight start arguing over who was a better baby. Uh, Andy talks about how he yes. was, uh, he, he did like commercials and acting and stuff as a baby and Dwight minimizes that. And then he says, you know, well, get this. I was born 13 pounds and my mother couldn't walk, walk for three months. And Andy calls him <laughs> a mutant. And Dwight says, I take that as a compliment, X-Men. And Andy says, ex-nerd. And Dwight says, I'm a current nerd. So he owns up to the fact that he's a nerd. Uh, it's, it's just this funny back and forth and seeing how the rivalry continues. We didn't have a whole lot of Kelly and Ryan this episode, but they did have a deleted scene that made me laugh. Um, Kelly is playing with Hannah's baby, and she announces to Ryan that she wants a baby this instant, in her words. And so, of course, Ryan's freaked out. And then in a Talking Head interview, Ryan is uh, upset that Kelly forgets to take her birth control pills on purpose. She uh, does not actually forget. She chooses not to take birth control uh, because she wants a kid and is kind of tricking Ryan into becoming a father, which is super not cool. But we we can see more of Kelly's um, plans for a family with Ryan. Yeah, I think it's just so funny the way she's holding the baby and just patiently waiting behind Ryan, waiting for him to turn around and say something. <laughs> um, Pam mentions, this was an interesting reveal, She's uh, she says she's been working with Dwight for four years, so we're getting a little bit of a timeline as far as that goes. It's been four years of her at Dunder Mifflin. Um, yeah. Then, there's a, like I said earlier, there's a lot of Dwight and Angela trying to learn more about Martin and assuming things about Martin, like, Dwight uh, assumes that Martin was in prison because he killed someone. He says, how do we know he won't kill again? Uh, again, no proof for that, and especially because that's not what he said. But Dwight says, yeah, he's a convict, i.e. liar. And so that's exactly what a convict would say. And Whatever, Dwight. Uh, he goes too far. And there's later when, um, when everybody goes outside for rec time, if you want to call it that, or that's what Michael calls it. Uh, where Martin is giving Meredith a ride to go get her car from somewhere, and Angela stops him and compliments his car and then makes note of his license plate and puts it in her phone right in front of him. And then Martin starts to leave, but then stops because he realizes that Dwight is chilling out in his back seat. And so the it's actually this whole through line throughout all the deleted scenes that was just cut from the episode where they're doing so much to try and find out where Meredith was after Martin comes back without her while she's getting in her car and coming back herself. So it, it it's just too much. And you really don't get that much of Angela and Dwight doing that in the episode. And obviously that's why it's in the deleted scenes. There's also a couple of deleted scenes, um, talking heads where some of the office members disclose their criminal pasts. We learn that Ryan uh, was arrested for loitering outside of a Dunkin' Donuts, <laughs> which is amazing to me because he's just kind of this average guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the most average crime you could be arrested for. Yeah, loitering. Um, yeah, right. Outside of a Dunkin' Donuts, like, it's just <laughs> perfect. And Creed talks about his time in prison. We don't learn why he was imprisoned, but we learned that he got his name Creed from prison. 
Um, I don't know what to gather from that information. Like, I don't either. <laughs> a creed is a set of beliefs. I mean, that's literally the, de- the definition. So I don't know where he would have gotten that nickname from prison. But he also talks about pruno, which is a wine that they made in prison in toilets from fruit, sugar, and ketchup. And he says he misses that stuff. <laughs> oh, there's better stuff out here. <laughs> there's also a deleted scene where Pam is trying to get some kind of revenge on Jim for his prank. So she pulls the same thing. She misinforms Andy with all of these things that Jim would not like. So Andy tries to entice Jim with this night out with all kinds of of things that Jim would not like. And Jim catches on immediately, of course. And so when Pam walks past, Jim kind of congratulates her on her prank. And she replies, F-A-Off-A, which is Pig Latin. (laughs) But I have not used Pig Latin in a really long time. I believe she's saying F off, except I don't think that's how you would say it in Pig Latin. I'm not positive on that. Yeah, that's not quite how Pig Latin works, but I don't think you could say F off in Pig Latin correctly because it's supposed to be the first syllable or the first consonant goes on the end of the word with A. So if, if you were saying the word stop, it would be opstay. Opstay, right. Yeah, but because F and off both start with vowels, you couldn't do it differently. So that that's just the way it is, I guess. But her, her point comes across pretty clear. But it should be noted that it's a playful F off. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're joking around. Yeah. Um, and then Michael has a talking head that further reveals some background about him a little bit. He says, when I was a kid, there was a costumed character, Al, that uh, talked about giving hoots and not polluting, and he never polluted again. So he realized there was power in dressing in an elaborate costume and speaking in a voice that is not yours. And thus we have Prison Mike and Ping and all of his other various characters. Now, as far as discussion topic goes, I have just a a question that may have a little bit of discussion, maybe not a lot, but we'll see. Uh, would you think that Michael would have reacted similarly if Martin had not been black and he found out he was a convict and why or why not? Um, I think initially he would not have reacted the same. Okay. Like let's say he found out that it was Andy say that that was a convict. Um, just as new as Martin, but white, I think he would have been equally freaked out because it's something foreign to him but probably wouldn't have gone through all the extremes of trying to convince people that Andy was okay or that. I think a lot of the hype was Michael not talking about the fact that Martin was black by talking about it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The way I sort of saw, I could sort of see it going two different ways. One, he's a white guy. And so because he's white, Michael trusts him. Um, But also just the fact that he's, a criminal. I don't know where I was going with that. I, I, I don't know. I, I still could see it going both ways, but it, it definitely was him trying to avoid being insensitive that made him screw everything up. And so if it was a white guy, that, that obstacle wouldn't have been there. But I don't know whether he would have been concerned that he was a convict or not just based on the fact that he was an ex-convict. Right. I, I feel like he would be at least awkward around him uh, because 
Michael knows nothing about prison. We see that in this episode. And uh, it's something that is very dramatized in TV and movies. So I think Michael still would have tried to um, relate, but failed, obviously, because Michael's, you know, he's a pretty (laughs) vanilla guy. He hasn't gone to prison. So um, maybe not had... He, he probably wouldn't have been as offensive, but would have still uh, tried to relate on a level he couldn't relate. Yeah, maybe the number one thing would be, I don't know if Michael would have made that same announcement about him trusting Martin if he had been white, because it wouldn't he wouldn't have felt the need to express support for a white guy because he's a white guy. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I think maybe a more telling thing would have been seeing how everybody else reacted to possibly finding out that he was an ex-convict. Uh, like, there was a deleted scene that I didn't mention where Martin expresses to Stanley that that, the prison reveal, went well. Stanley says it would have gone better if you hadn't committed a crime or if you hadn't been to prison. And then Stanley has his talking head about how he'd been this upset by finding out anyone in the office had committed a crime, but he's especially upset that it just had to be the other black men. He said, of the two black men here, one of them have served time. And so he expresses a little bit of an extra level of disappointment. So it just would have been interested, interesting to see how things might have flipped or not flipped if it just had been a white guy. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to, to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of our uh, 20th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash workplacepod or on Twitter at workplacepod. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and you can email feedback or ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins, and also on my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found or at the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. All notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 20 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 21 for a discussion on the next episode of season three of Benihana Christmas. Bye. (laughs) Bye.